Jesus is gracious that while on the road, he would direct us. We just had to follow him. Following Jesus. Following is a term that we all know well if any of us have taken a dab into the mass media. In order to know what is going on in the world, we have to follow along. Which, that alone, church, can be exhausting. The whole world, when we turn on our socials, we follow up with stories of people we are following. Following is not that hard to do in this cultural moment because everything attempts to claim our attention. Then there is that second word, Jesus. Jesus. A name, a beautiful name, a powerful name. Jesus is a word that we all know well, yet at the same time, a word that could have different meanings in our culture with different expectations. We have been journeying through a lot of different territory as a people of God, haven't we? Through COVID-19, racial unrest, how to parent well, how to grow in mental health, Dehumanization across nations, destruction within nature. We have been on the road attempting to move a little further along than we did the day before. On this journey, we have used this word, Jesus. In a cultural moment where there are multiple frameworks and systems attempting to share with us who Jesus is, Jesus looks at his followers and asks the question, Who do you say that I am? The answer to that question, whether we like it or not, changes everything. The answer to that question says a lot about what we believe about Jesus and what we don't believe about Jesus. Either way, our walk in that answer says a lot about our belief. Luke 9, verses 18 through 26 Say these words. While he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, that one of the ancient prophets have come back. But you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. So let's walk together in this passage, church. I call this sermon, On the Road with Jesus. Here's my first point. Position of Jesus. 
Verse 18, Jesus is praying in private, private, and disciples were with him. Have you noticed in Scripture that Jesus prays before a significant moment, before a significant development? Jesus is praying before something monumental happens in the place that he is at. Prayer is a constant rhythm for Jesus. The very breath of Jesus on the road with his disciples is prayer. Critical moments like these are pressed into. They are emphasized from the posture of prayer. Check this. Even at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus prays before something significant happens. Luke 3, verses 21 through 22. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. As he was praying, church, heaven opened. This is the beloved Son of God. The Father is well pleased in him. So when we read Luke 9, and it says that Jesus was praying, and he asked his disciples a question, this question is inspired by the beloved Son of God who pleases the Father perfectly. Therefore, we must listen to him. Not only do we listen to Jesus, but we also must pay attention to where he is going. The scripture Kat read for us in Mark's gospel said that Jesus went on with the disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he asked his disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? Jesus is on the road to the villages of another town. He is on the way. What is the way in which Jesus walks? Where is the road leading him? Where is he going? It is here in this chapter that Jesus begins to journey to Jerusalem. This leads to my second point, testimony of Jesus. Jesus asks the question, who do the crowds say that I am? Gosh, what a question. Jesus asks good questions. Jesus' questions are produced from prayer. We know that the answer the disciples gave, politicians were processing through it too. Herod the Tetrarch heard that John the Baptist had been raised, that Elijah had appeared, that an ancient prophet had been risen. There are multiple crowds of different cultures that have their own storytelling of who they think Jesus is or, in transparency, who they want him to be. Today, some may say that Jesus is someone who ought to make us great. Others might say that Jesus is someone who shouldn't have us suffer. People have the same ambitions today as they did then. On the road in this life, the crowds will always have something to say about Jesus. Different cultures, different philosophies, different systems will always have something to say about Jesus. But Jesus doesn't respond defensively as if he wants us to go and correct the crowd. Jesus instead asks us in gentleness and lowliness, but you, or in in Tennessee, but y'all. 
Who do you say that I am? The question is personal. It is communal to the fellowship of believers. Who do we say that Jesus is? How interesting that Jesus asks a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, and everyday workers such a question. He doesn't ask scholars. He doesn't ask politicians. So why does Jesus ask them? Jesus could have already known what answers they would have given. We have found in Scripture that Jesus already knows people, what's, what's on their mind, what's on their heart, before they even say a word. So why ask this question to this people? Here's a thought. Jesus asks not for his benefit, but for our own. He asks so that we could see who he truly is. Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. The one who has been anointed. The one who everyone was looking for help and redemption. It is at this response that while the disciples are walking on the road with Jesus, they are met at a crossroads. The road was not just a geographic path anymore. It was a theological path. A road that revealed the Messiah God has appointed. A road on the way to the cross. John the Baptist, the most humble, said that he is not the Messiah. Demons are silenced because they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. The testimony of Jesus as Messiah is everything. And then there's verse 21. But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying that it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and raised on the third day. You see, Jesus was exposing the perceptions of his disciples and how they saw Jesus as Messiah. God's Messiah for the disciples in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria was the position that would defeat Rome. They expected redemption, but a political kind of redemption. They expected a kingdom, but a kingdom that came with swords, not a kingdom that goes to a cross. Jesus reveals to them a particular kind of kingdom. And Jesus gives a foretaste of this kingdom when he shares in Luke 4, 18 and 19, when he says these words, these words are so good. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now it is in this story on the road to Jerusalem that Jesus reveals what is good news, what is release, what is recovery, and what is freedom. And that is nothing but the blood of Jesus. But Jesus coming to die does not fit well with our popular discipleship, does it? Not now, not then. The the disciples did not agree with Jesus' thoughts. How often do we do the same? Telling Jesus that we have a better idea of redemption. Even in the thick of this tension, Jesus tells them to tell this to no one. To keep this messianic secret. 
Because if Jesus is to be known as Messiah, God's anointed, it must be as the one who is to suffer. Jesus still calls himself the son of man here in this conversation as reference to the will of God for him to suffer. The disciples were told to keep quiet because Jesus had to suffer. If they announced his Messiahship too soon, the people of God would anticipate their political kind of redemption. But Jesus was to be delivered to the parties of the Jewish nation operating under Rome and be killed. This is who Jesus is as God's Messiah, the one who does not display the world's greatest conquering but to be the one who would experience the world's greatest loss. This is the Jesus we confess as Savior and Lord. Not a Jesus who blesses conquest. Not a Jesus who affirms unrighteousness. We need to stop forcing Jesus to fit into our plans and ambitions. A cross can't fit in a box. We need to stop stripping the gospel of its otherness and hope that eventually, after all that stripping, there will be something that gives us the excuse to participate in sin. No. Instead of this, Jesus invites us to participate in the life of God where there is cost, but where there is Christ. This leads to my last point community of Jesus. Verse 23, Luke directs our attention to see that Jesus addresses not just the 12, but all the disciples. Luke 9, 23 through 25. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me, in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. If anyone is going to come along with Jesus, they have to deny themselves, pick up their crosses daily, and follow him. Deny. We disregard ourselves. No, that does not mean that we hate ourselves or that we shouldn't care for our body, but that we don't make it our God anymore. As my dear friend Dan Spross has told me, Jesus cannot be Lord of my life if I still am. We live in a culture where it is all about us. But you already know this. We live in a culture that is so focused on our pleasures and our rights. Yet Jesus, who again is the redemption of all of the cosmos, has said to deny yourself. We can trust Jesus, friends. The same Jesus who invites us to deny is the same Jesus who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The self cannot give us that. To pick up a cross is the public statement that you have lost. In a polarized society, that is the last thing that we want to do. Pick up our cross. 
Well, Jesus, can you believe that? Can you believe that they believe that? Jesus, are you really going to give them forgiveness? Because I know what they think about. Jesus, if you only knew their heart. I see what they said. Church, picking up our crosses is to imitate our Messiah. The way of a Jesus disciple is to model after a crucified God. And we do this daily. And let me just say a quick thing about this word daily. I love hearing testimonies of how the Lord has brought breakthrough and redemption. But hear me. We did not just pick up our cross once or back then when we were saved. We ought to hear daily stories of breakthrough and redemption because we pick up our crosses daily. Embodying our new confession. This is the confession of the church. This is the new creation confession of the Christian community. And it's this. We have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. The life we now live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. We follow Jesus. We trust the words of Jesus. And as a community, we are not ashamed, but amazed by the words of Jesus. We have to come and live in this life like his words have weight, that he will come in glory. While writing The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer typed these words, and these words are freeing. Cheap grace is not the kind of forgiveness of sin which frees us from the toils of sin. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be asked for. The door at which a man must knock. Such grace, because it has called us to follow, well, it is grace because it has called us to follow Jesus Christ. This is not popular discipleship, church. This is the community of Jesus. There is a cost to follow him. And in a world where there is plus this and plus that, We must pursue holiness, and we must stand firm. As the community of Jesus, we come along with him. We follow him because Jesus is the bread of life, not the crumbs of life. Jesus is the light of the world, not the candle of the world. Jesus is the door to the sheep, not the wall to the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd, Not the distracted shepherd. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Not absent whatsoever. 
Jesus is the way, the truth in the life, not out to lie or manipulate. Jesus is the true vine, the one in whom we will be saved. Jesus walks, he heals the blind. He laments with the hurting. He shows us how to make peace. He exposes the toxicity of broken systems. He teaches humility. He comes into the homes of other cultures. Eventually, that road turns into a road of sorrow. And Jesus goes with his cross to die so that we would be redeemed. That is the redemption of our Messiah. Jesus lived and Jesus died for what you are going through right now. For what you are going through right now, too. You are never going to be abandoned. The resurrection occurs a few days later and two disciples are on a road discussing and arguing about Jesus. I do that a lot too. Jesus comes near to them and begins to walk with them. Yet they did not know it was Jesus. In their conversation, they talk about how Jesus was killed and how his words have not come to pass. It is there on the road with the marks of his crucifixion that Jesus says it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and enter into glory. It is after this that these disciples broke bread with Jesus and they recognized him for who he is, the Messiah of God. A few weeks ago, I took a trip with my master's cohort to travel to and across the American South. Such a great trip uh, with amazing classmates and inspiring uh, professor. We were on the road uh, to a revival campground uh, known as the Red River Meeting House. We were hearing stories of revival where there was no hurry, uh, where there was no smoke, no distraction, no other gods. The campground was amazing, filled with creation, history, and awe. But if I'm being honest, it was the travel on the road that meant the most to me. I heard my professor singing hymns of praise and shedding precious tears. It was on the road that I witnessed what a man looks like who counts the cost to follow Jesus. And church, it was beautiful. What the road could teach us. Only the road has felt the feet of Jesus in a dragged cross. What the road could teach us. Only the road has felt the feet of glory walking in resurrection. What the road, along with Jesus, could teach us. 